Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Deanna Cavelli, Vice President for Lockton's Northeast Region. Welcome, Deanna. Hi, Nicole. Deanna has been in the retirement services sector for more than 25 years, has held roles at Buck Consultants and Wells Fargo. She also ran her own retirement consulting business before joining Lockton. Deanna, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into your role at Lockton? Sure. Glad to be here, Nicole. Thank you. Most of my career has really been focused on business development, but in the retirement and the benefits industry. And one of the things that's been really interesting in recent years is that I and others in the industry have been noticing how retirement and health benefits have been converging. In addition, delivering benefits, especially on the 401k and pension side, comes with a lot more complexity and risk. And what's really nice is that Lockton really brings this all together because we're in the business of helping improve businesses by managing risk. And so it's really a great opportunity to be innovative and help employers with these um, important parts of the services they're offering their employees. When you talk about employers are looking to manage risk, what does that look like? What is a typical situation where Lockton would be able to come in and say, here's a solution that will help you with that risk? Sure. Well, I'll take retirement plans as an example. Of course, on the pension side, um, pensions are, are, are dying in many ways, but there's still a lot of pension plans that are out there that companies um, will be offering for quite a while, even if they've um, frozen the plans or um, want to terminate that plan. And that has a large impact on the employer's balance sheet. So that's one area where we're managing risk. Something that most people can relate to is 401k plans. So in terms of managing risk uh, for 401k plans, this has become a lot more of a focus for risk managers and CFOs in particular. Um, has always been a focus, of course, for HR, but there has been a increase in litigation in this space. These plans are heavily regulated and that is is just bringing a lot more attention, having strong fiduciary governance. So uh, that is one of the areas where we spend a lot of focus, where you would expect that we would focus would be in the area of investments, but we are really helping um, companies manage their overall retirement programs. Great way to help alleviate that risk. And obviously you're listening to the clients, the CFOs and HR professionals that are asking for it. Deanna, in your introduction, you talked about the fact that the majority of your career has been in business development. What personal strengths are habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business? Great question, Nicole. I really look at business development as being a way to help individuals and help their businesses. And we often talk about consultative sales, but when I try to think about what that really means in terms of strengths or habits that are important for a successful business developer, I really think of what I call the three C's. And um, the first is I try to remind myself to connect but to connect with the right people. There are a lot of connectors out there. It's not necessarily how many people you know, who you know. It's making the connections with the right people. 
The other quality I think that's really important to focus on is communications, especially in this day and age when people are inundated with information, is the ability to communicate concisely and in a credible way. And then the other area that I think is also a role that is important to play as a business developer is that of what I'll call a coach. And what I mean by that is not only to be able to coach the colleagues that are representing your services, but it's also to really serve as a true coach to the prospect that you are developing a relationship with and to do so in an authentic way. Can you talk a little bit more about communications? We are definitely hearing feedback from guests on Left Foot, from people that are listening to Left Foot, that they're not quite sure the most effective way to be communicating, whether it's through social media, through Twitter, through presentations, through writing articles. There's so much information out there. Any points you could give our listeners specific to the second C, communications? Sure. Communication has gotten so challenging because people are inundated with so much information that your message can easily get lost. And I think there's a lot to be said in terms of slowing down before you deliver a message and to be very thoughtful in terms of how you craft it. So messaging is really critical and messaging that's going to be tailored to your audience because our audience today can get information from so many sources. To have an impactful message is really important. I think it's also important that we try to simplify the message because sometimes we overcomplicate things. So understanding what will resonate with a prospect, that means understanding what their problem is, or maybe it's a problem they don't realize they have that you're going to bring attention to. Great point. As a guest recently, we had Adrian Dayton, and he's a social media expert to professional services. He had some great theories on communication and how to create effective material to be out marketing and not marketing specifically, but communicating with clients and prospective clients. His real bottom line at the end of the interview was try a lot of different things because you don't know what's going to resonate. I've tried a lot of different things. I'm often surprised at the ones that people are actually responding to, reading, you know, where I'm getting better hits and better results. It's not the ones that I think will. It's the ones that I'm surprised are getting the attention. So I think that was great advice. I think that's um, a really interesting observation. I think I've had similar experiences as well. And I think it's also interesting given that we are in a workforce now with multi-generations in the workforce that it means that often then people don't receive information the same way. So you do have to also try different ways to access individuals. And social media is definitely a primary um, needed vehicle to use in business development. But I also think it's important to not forget the traditional ways of communicating because those can really stand out, whether it's a handwritten note or a phone call as well. No, I agree. Absolutely agree. So, Dana, you have a big responsibility. You run retirement for the Northeast region. I'm sure you have a strategy for how you're going to reach your goal. So what is either your strategy that you're using specific to growing the business for Lockton in the Northeast? Or what strategy do you recommend to others specific to reaching a particular number or particular goal? 
It's a great time at Locked In because we've got immense resources on the team and we're really in a situation where our national business is at a point where there's a great opportunity to expand in the Northeast. We do have clients all over the country. One of the ways um, that we're doing that is, of course, sharing um, our success that we've had over the years in terms of helping other retirement plan and benefits um, clients across the country. So part of the way that we do that is making sure that we are sharing examples in the prospecting process of team members, introducing team members, um, whether it's an ERISA attorney, whether it's an investment analyst that's on the team, to be able to give some specific examples of how we might be able to help them um, with their current situation. It's a great way. So even you know success stories for prospecting or contacting people, a great strategy, you know, what's working elsewhere. If that's the strategy, which is fantastic, what tactical best practices do you recommend? Some of my lawyer law firm clients, they ask things like how many hours a week should a lawyer spend on business development? If I say it should be at least two hours a week, they say, what should they do in those two hours? What would be your advice for someone in your industry if they had two hours a week? What tactical things should they be doing? Well, having a laser focus is incredibly important. So it's really about time management. Where are you going to get the most ROI on your time? So I'll go back to one of my um, prior comments in terms of making connections with the right people. Come up with a focus list. You know, who are going to be your best targets? So do some thinking when you're doing your business plan in terms of who would be a best fit, because it doesn't matter how good you are, how great your firm is, but you can't necessarily be all things to all people. So think about who those organizations are that you would like to do business with and make sure that you spend a lot of time on those top targets because it takes a lot of touches to be able to be successful. It's not to say that you can't um, be lucky and be able to be successful in a shorter amount of time, but it's important to really maximize how you use your time. There's so many events, there's so many cocktail functions, there's so many opportunities to go out and quote unquote network. How do you do that effectively? And we've heard from different guests, things like don't go to networking events with other people in your industry, go to other events where customers, potential customers who can afford your services would be gathering where you might be unique and then can offer guidance based on either experience in that industry or in that space to others. I have to say for myself, I do a lot of follow-up. I do follow-up after an event within 24 to 48 hours. I write an email, send a LinkedIn connect. Those are the things that tend to help. I also have had that serendipitous introduction to someone that turned into a nice piece of business. I think it's a great point to focus on effective connections. What is your favorite or your recommended way to make those connections? Is it events? Is it writing? Is it speaking? For me, what I understand has been important is to focus not only in how having dedicated one-on-one time, which means really spending time to reach out 
to people that I've already met that might be warm connections, but also to be very strategic in terms of the events or programs that I might attend. It also means as part of my business plan, I'm looking to do um, a lot more what I'll call group marketing or selling. So if I can get a group of finance or HR individuals around a boardroom table and have a meaningful conversation where peers can exchange ideas among themselves. And let's say I get six of those people in a room. That is time well spent and very often very much appreciated by the people in the room because it's like having six different meetings all at one time. Right. And they're making connections with each other as well. That's a lot of what clients are are looking for is they want to be able to um, share their success stories or challenges and, and collaborate on what other people are doing. We just end up being more of a facilitator to create that dialogue for them. Deanna, can you share a success story? I guess I'll give two examples. One to address this whole concept of group marketing, because it's amazing the additional networking or introductions that you can get in those situations. One of the things that um, some of my colleagues and I have um, discovered is that often one event leads to another. So for example, if you are having a conversation about fiduciary risk and the conversation ends up transitioning in to uh, the challenges companies are having with cyber, it just creates an opportunity to have another program or maybe it's another conversation with some of the attendees um, in the room. So that's been one of the benefits of having these types of, of roundtables per se is because it helps you to discover where there might be other pain points. And then if I uh, move to maybe more of a um, individual selling experience, what's really interesting is when I um, think about some of my more interesting selling experiences, they have often been situations where it wasn't necessarily the smoothest ride. And what I mean by that is that sometimes it's okay to feel some discomfort in the room because sometimes that's really where that opportunity is to really make a difference with your prospect, maybe to help them to discover a completely different solution that they never thought of. And sometimes um, you could be in a room, perhaps, where you think everything's going hunky-dory and they're not necessarily asking questions and you're just, you know, delivering your solution. But if you just stop and pause and think of maybe a different question to turn the conversation around, it's amazing um, what you can learn. And those are the situations where I've found I've had the most satisfaction um, in a win. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Those of us who have been in business development for a period of time, we always heard that even getting the no early was a great opportunity. I think in these complex sales and professional services, there's so many factors. There is that complexity. There is one or two points in that opportunity that need a little bit more effort and a little bit more focus and likely some creativity. So that's what I'm hearing from that success story is that you've had sure. the opportunity to apply creativity. In addition to creativity, it's having the courage to ask the difficult questions. So it could be if you're in a potential outsourcing type of situation, you know, what the ramifications might be to that individual, that buyer you're speaking to, or the other employees that are part of that department. 
there could be some other agenda that just hasn't been addressed, whether it's a business um, issue or a personal issue. And that's where you really start to create more of what I'll call the client intimacy that starts to build a trusted advisor relationship. That's a great response. And again, I do think in professional services, we get you know these very smart people who are less comfortable often with asking questions they don't know the answer to and the ones that are hard that aren't based on the facts that they know so well. So I think that's a great point to bring up that, you know, it is those hard questions, those more people related questions that can really make a difference. So Dana, you've been in the space for a number of years in the professional services space around 2008. And for the years following, there were some changes in how the market was purchasing professional services. And even today, we're seeing much more competition and definitely a lot of discussion around fixed fees and alternative pricing arrangements. In your opinion, in your experience, how has business development changed in professional services because of these changes in the market? Nicole, it's amazing when um, I do look back to um, pre the Great Recession, because I think that was the catalyst for change in professional services. And there's been a lot of um, fee compression. And I think part of it's also because of the way that people buy services now. So the digital world that we're living in has um, really changed the way that services are purchased. We've got social media, the information that you can get about a firm online. It makes it more important for business developers to make sure that a prospective buyer knows who you are early because there are a number of studies that indicate that um, by the time that somebody's ready to buy, about 60% of that buying decision has already been made. So what's nice about how professional services is evolved is that there's a lot less meet and greet, meaning that we're able to use our time so much more efficiently on both sides, whether you are the marketer or whether you are the prospective buyer. You're able to have much more meaningful meetings when you do get a face-to-face conference call or a face-to-face meeting with the prospect. Let's talk about that a bit. So that's because there's so much information available. We can, of course, send information. We can direct people to websites. Talk a little bit about the face-to-face meeting. I've noticed in my most recent experience that I meet someone once and that typically is sufficient. Either met them at a conference or maybe did I follow up one-on-one. Doesn't seem necessary that I visit them unless, of course, there's an issue. Have you had a similar experience? Because I've noticed the change. It's almost uncomfortable to be going back in again for face-to-face. There's a lot of comfort in, I've met you, I've I've looked in your eyes, we're okay, let's go forward. Absolutely. And that's probably one of the most drastic changes that I think many of us that have been in the business for a while have observed. And that's good and bad (laughs) because what it means is when you do have that meeting, you've got to make every minute count. It's similar to when you are um, interviewing, maybe for a new position, the impressions that are made in those first, in that very first minute. So a lot of the um, preparation that you do is really, really key. So I think it's, you can never underestimate what goes on behind the scenes to be able to have a very impactful experience. 
And it's at that juncture where the buyer is going to decide if there's a comfort level and whether they can do business with you. I've seen that as well. It's the interactions. It's, you know, are you paying attention? Who are you talking with? Are you using that time? You made a comment earlier about having the research done. If we're looking for a particular person at an event to be ready to have that effective conversation when we do locate them at that event. Right. At the same time, I think it's still important to, if you've developed a good rapport, but they're not ready to buy at that point, don't forget to stay in touch. It doesn't mean asking for meeting after meeting, but maybe it's just um, sharing an article that might relate to their business or something completely unrelated to that has something to do with something that you've learned personally about them. Just to be a reminder that you're out there. So when the time comes, um, they'll be sure to call you. I read somewhere recently that something like 90% of new business opportunities are with someone that shared some communication in the prior two weeks. And when that was defined, it wasn't a specific note to the person, but it was something posted on LinkedIn, some articles, um, something where you were front of mind. You reminded your client or prospective client that this is the business you're in, or this is a service you could provide. I was somewhat surprised by that. It's a little bit surprising. However, what I will tell you is it's really interesting that I've noticed that when we have some type of a drip, meaning it could be an invitation to a webinar that we're, we have, or maybe it's a new white paper that we've come out on a particular issue, that it usually does create some type of activity, maybe not related to what you've specifically reached out to them for, but it's just a reminder that, oh, wow, you know, I've got this issue that I'm dealing with, or, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you, but I just haven't had the chance. And so it's really important to do that because you never know um, what the return might be, something unexpected that comes out of um, your marketing campaign. Definitely look at the business that both Left Foot and my private equity business really has been surprising that it wasn't a formal communication. It was other communication that, again, triggered that conversation. I think that's why it's also important to really work your what I'll call centers of influence. And those are great opportunities to be able to uh, learn information or um, get referrals, um, testimonials even. Absolutely agree. Left Foot is focused on business development and innovation and the delivery of advice. So consulting, of course, you know, working with our lawyer, actuary, accountant partners. What have you seen that you would consider innovative, either in the business development side of professional services or in the delivery of services? Great question. So I've seen it really on on both sides. And again, it goes back to this theme of technology and the digital age and that we're in a world now where more and more the people want to be able to do business on their own time. So being able to deliver a service, whether that is, and I'll give the example of um, fiduciary training that we do for um, investment committees. We're focused on um, helping businesses to have good fiduciary governance. Sometimes that means that we're going to sit around the boardroom table and do some industry training that uh, will be important to fulfill their responsibilities that they have, or it might mean delivering it via BrainShark, for example, so that an executive can do it on their own time. 
So we're finding that we're using different ways to deliver our services. And we see that on the business development side as well, whether it is a um, partner of mine that has a um, 401k Fridays um, podcast, for example, to be able to provide meaningful industry and educational information on the industry, or it could be being able to listen to that webinar on a hot topic that um, you were busy at the time of the live uh, delivery. Great response. For those that don't know what Brain Shark is, can you describe it? Sure. Yeah. So basically, it's a it is a tool that will allow you to essentially go online and be able to hear a presentation on your own time. And uh, one of the things that's really nice about it in terms of uh, specifically the fiduciary training I'll use in his example is that if you wanted to also be able to inventory how many people on your team had actually um, viewed it, we're able to provide that information to the employer as well. Great. So they're able to use it as professional learning. Deanna, many of our listeners are millennial, mobile, and global. What advice would you have for those who are beginning the business development part of their journey? Well, Nicole, I think that I would say for someone that's starting out or even for somebody that's been in the business for a long, long time, that it's important to look at business development as a way to learn about your prospect. We often in sales think about having to share what we can do for the person, for the business. And before we can do that, it's really important that we take a step back and really be a student of the business. So observe your colleagues, see what you might want to emulate, maybe what you don't want to do and find your own style. And in terms of the business, don't go into the room thinking that you have to know everything or that you're the smartest person in the room. Um, There's something to be said about um, having that humility and really um, getting to know the business so that you can then discover how you can truly help your prospect or client. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, one of the things I used to get questions on a lot and and still do actually is what is the right amount of preparation before a client or prospect meeting? And especially a junior team member who might be tasked with doing the research on a client or prospect. You know, that's a science somewhat, or maybe it's an art that, you know, you find the right amount of information that gives everyone enough comfort level on the industry. But I would absolutely... And want to see if you agree that for, you know, the folks just starting out, the expectation that they know a lot is pretty evident in their position. People know the associates, they know the senior associates in the room and their expectation is, yes, they might've done some research and they know a good amount about their account, but the expectation is not that they know everything to your point, is that they know something and are effective listeners even more than contributors. That's absolutely right. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges, but where you can reap the most benefits is by learning how to have uh, very active listening skills. And it's difficult. It's difficult. It sometimes means that you have to be comfortable with that you know, silence in the room and really not only knowing about 
your um, area of specialty or about the business that you're going to meet with, but to prepare questions. And I think that's one of the areas where um, we often could spend um, more time is just trying to refine what are those questions? What's your wish list of what you want to learn um, from your client? Having the questions ready, being that active listener, when someone says the decision will be made after the board meeting, the next question should be, when is the board meeting? The obvious times to ask that follow-up question are the obvious follow-up questions. So Deanna, you have a lot of energy. I know from your voice that you enjoy what you do. What do you enjoy most about the work that you do? What I love about what I do is that you can really help employers and their employees to be more successful, whether that means that you are taking a load off of the employer's desk in terms of um, the burden that they have in in managing these um, retirement and benefits programs. But from an employee perspective, it's really knowing that you're doing something meaningful to be able to improve financial wellness. And one of the things that I'm discovering as the um, industry evolves and the challenges for employers increase with our workforce environment that we're in is that they're very interrelated. To have healthy and productive employees is going to have a direct correlation on the bottom line. And that's something that we're really focusing on a lot at Lockton is really helping employers to find ways to connect the dots. Healthy and financially secure employees means that you're going to have a more successful business. Employers are are definitely seeing that connection between having productive employees and ones that are confident about whether it's their health coverage, their retirement plan of the future, I think is is so critical. Absolutely agree. Deanna, thank you. It's been very informative. Any last points you'd like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye? It's really been a pleasure, Nicole, speaking with you today. I would just end by saying don't underestimate how important it is to spend time building your business plan so that you can be an effective time manager. Plan your work and work your plan. Great last point. Deanna, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on Left Foot. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Oh, 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 oh,